invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 21. You'll find that on page 1392. Some of your Bibles might have bold headlines, and you can see a progression of thought. Last week, I preached on submission to government, and today, the heading that is given here is submission to masters. So we'll be thinking about how we can apply this into our work situations in our lives today. Listen as I read God's word to you. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But... When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. The passage is going to go on and tell us about Jesus' example, but I'm going to reserve that for next week. The language and the subject of this passage is very searching, isn't it? The language might even distract you from the main point of the passage. The main point is that God enables you to endure evil and to submit with respect. This is the work of God's Spirit in you. It's the work of his grace in you. But the language here is somewhat foreign to us, and maybe off-putting, and the very subject matter may be off-putting to you. The idea of submitting to those in authority when they do wrong to you. And that just grates against our sense of fairness. It grates against a very American approach, which is individualistic and thinks that we are the measure of all things and the final authority and arbitrator on all things. This is a passage that is indeed very searching. So I don't want you to be distracted by the setting, by the historical aspects of Peter's history here, so I'm going to explain that. But I'm going to spend most of my time applying this and the enduring principles that rise out of a historical context. We're going to start with the Uh, the context in which Peter lived, the context of masters and servants. That would be the heading of the first point on the back of the bulletin, all to demonstrate God's grace enabling you to endure and to submit with respect. So Peter uses the term masters and servants. And here's where we could really get distracted because some 
translations actually use the word slaves here, masters and slaves. In fact, if you follow sports, you might know that there was a NCAA Division I coach that uh, used this passage, had used this terminology of masters and slaves, and he was fired. There's a historical context that was happening here, and he wasn't trying to refer to, uh, uh, the, the coach was not trying to refer to it in any other way than to uh, do as this passage does, to bring up an aspect of learning about authority and learning about submission. So slavery is something that we understand from our historical context. We understand uh, really an abhorrent evil that was practiced in the United States where men, women, and children were kidnapped and were taken from their homes, families broken up, they were sold into slavery in the United States. And the Bible and the church has rightly condemned that, and we are glad that uh, that that has taken place, and that we no longer practice it here in the United States. It is practiced in some places in the world. And it was practice in Peter's world. It was part of the Roman Empire. Now, there were other forms of servitude that were very common in Peter's day, too. And Peter's language and the words that he uses embraces kind of all of the historical context in which he, in which he was ministering to. So there were some types of servants that we might think of as as those that are hired to work in our homes. A maid or a butler would be kind of maybe old-fashioned terms, but they would be hired servants. And the word that Peter uses embraces that, but it does also embrace what was actually happened in the Roman Empire. There were some who were owned as slaves, like we would think of it. Peter is not condoning slavery. He's addressing those who were living under that. He was addressing it as part of the historical context in which he lived. The Bible does not condone that type of slavery. And so Peter's not saying that that was okay, but instead he is is recognizing those that he was writing to, that some of them would be experiencing this. So how does a Christian live in that context? This is very significant. It's significant because Peter is addressing those that would be considered non-persons, considered property, but he's not treating them that way. He's actually treating them as persons, and he is treating them as believers. So think back to chapter 1 and all of the things that Peter says about believers. He draws that into the way in which he addresses those who were servants, those who are reading his letter. So think. 
Their earthly station was that of a servant, maybe even a slave. But even a servant can be a child of God. Even a servant, by faith, were considered pilgrims and sojourners in this world. And even though they were serving and under slavery, they too had a heavenly inheritance, reserved in heaven, where it could not be corrupted and it could not be stolen away. They too could greatly rejoice, as chapter 1 says, though now for a little while, if need be, they were grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of their faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it was tested by fire, could be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter is treating them as brothers and sisters in Christ, as, uh, as inheritors of, of the kingdom of God. And because they were brothers and sisters in Christ, they needed to know how to react when they were mistreated by their masters. Because of this, as every child of God, no matter the external state that they lived in, they too, again from chapter 1, were called to gird up the loins of their minds and to live a holy life even though suffering. And on the strength of this, I can say to you that whatever state of life that you are in, that as a child of God, that you have an inheritance that can't be stolen away, that you have a dignity and value that God has set upon you because you are made in his image, because you are redeemed, you are a child of God. And there's no one who can take that away. And I can address you as well with the same boldness that Peter does to say that you are to gird up the loins of your mind, that you are to live by faith even under these types of circumstances that he is going to go on to describe of suffering injustice at the hands of those in authority over you. We suffer all sorts of things. In this case, Peter is calling attention to a relationship to those in authority where that authority is abused. How does a Christian respond? Well, just to sum this up, uh, I really appreciated the way that, uh, that one commentator summarizes the historical context. Harold says that slaves were most vulnerable to abuse, suffering, injury, and indignity. They were in a position that would make them the likeliest candidates for dejection, despair, or anger. Their lot was unenviable to all, including themselves so that given any direction or empowering, they would think only in terms 
of rebellion against their slavery. Peter, however, gives different directions as he points to enabling grace. And that's the main point of this passage. So uh, I've tried to help you see the historical context so you can understand it. This is not a condoning of slavery. The Bible condemns that. And and if if you you narrow down to a a tweet of this sermon and and get just that uh, Peter's addressing slaves and they are to submit and that, that I'm condoning slavery, then... This is my disclaimer. I hope you can uh, find this in the tape. (laughs) The historical context is that that was happening in Peter's day. And Peter's main point is that God gives grace so that you may endure evil and to submit with respect. So let's go on then to see what that main point is to be submissive with respect. Now, we found something similar last week when Peter considered our relationship to leaders we have in government. God appoints governments, and so respect for their authority is respect for God's authority. In this case, the authority is much closer. It is that of a master. Here, I'll say again, Peter doesn't condone slavery. It was part of his world, but our context can take Peter's instruction in that setting. We can apply it to our situation and to the situation of the society in which we live. And the point that's being made is that that God has ordered society. He has instituted different spheres of, of authority. He is given a family, and there's a certain authority that happens there, certain responsibilities. He's instituted the church, and there is responsibility and service and authority that happens there. He's instituted the government, as we looked at last last week. And then, within that, those spheres of authority, there's something of chains of command. There are different levels of authority. And the Bible very clearly says that the Lord holds the leadership accountable for their actions and the way in which they lead. In fact, God holds them under closer scrutiny than than anyone else. Those in authority are held accountable to, uh, to God for the way in which they act. But Peter's interest here is not about that. His interest is about those who are under authority. And the guidance that Peter gives is to submit with respect. To submit with respect to those who are in authority. He literally says, and and your New King James Version puts it this way, to submit with all fear. And uh, um, it's it's good to understand that as not being scared, but uh, Peter uses uh, that term to 
uh, to indicate a respect that is given or an honor that is given to those who are in authority. And notice that Peter says that we do this not just to those that are good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And we begin to start to get uncomfortable at this point. Perhaps as I read this, you were like, what? What is, what, what's going on here? And this is a place where I say that our sensibilities and our, 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 our sense of our own value and rights rises up against this concept of being under authority. In fact, the word submission is one that has a, has a, a very negative connotation in our, in our culture today. Now, it has been misused, uh, authority has been misused, and that's why I've said God holds leadership accountable, and submission, or that authority needs to be defined as well. But we just can't explain away a simple phrase like this. Respect those in authority with res- uh, excuse me, to submit to those in authority with respect. That's the simple kind of baseline uh, instruction that is given to us for relationship to those in authority. Now, Peter understands the context and he understands that, that some servants, some under authority, would be well treated. And he says, that's good. But submission is not limited to those who are gentle and good, but is oriented towards our respect of authority and is given also to those who are harsh. That's not a very natural human response, is it? Just think about what your response has been. I imagine that, that, uh, that you have all encountered bad work experiences, places where you have, where you have labored and labored hard and well and have been underappreciated, not acknowledged, and even worse, taken advantage of, our response is that our, our sense of rights and entitlement rises up so that we become angry and we become bitter over that circumstance and we become we come to notice all of the ways that we have been abused or that our uh, our work has has not been acknowledged and our response is then to throw off that sense of 
submission with respect. You feel justified in this. He was unjust to me. He doesn't deserve my service. He doesn't deserve my respect. Peter says to be submissive with respect. Wow. What does this mean? Quoted the commentator Doriani last week defining submission in this way. To submit means to arrange one's life under the authority or the guidance of another. To arrange oneself under that authority. There are qualifications, and I'm going to come to that in a moment. And our minds rush to those qualifications. What if, what if, what if, what if? But the starting point is to arrange yourself under the authorities that God has ranged over you. Doriani goes on to observe we don't like to submit to leaders unless we think they are worthy. But that misses the point. God has arranged society, and he's arranged it in an orderly structure that includes positions of leadership and service and authority. To submit is to arrange your life under that authority, to acknowledge that, that, that there is respect that is owed to a position if not to a man. There is respect that is owed because of the office that person holds, whether they execute that well or wisely or harshly. The position deserves submission and respect. That means that if your work asks you to do something that isn't sin, that you do what is assigned as unto God. Even if you disagree. Now, in the best possible circumstances, in a, in a good workplace, you'll be able to voice your disagreements and be heard. What about the hard circumstances? What if you disagree and there is no appeal or no hearing of your appeal? Well, we leave those things in God's hands. The Lord will hold your leaders accountable. Not you. The Lord will hold them accountable. They act foolishly, don't listen to appeal, that's their story. God will hold them accountable. Our responsibility, the baseline, is to submit with respect. Now notice that Jesus 
is always interested in more than just our outward actions. You know the old story of the uh, 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 of the rebellious boy that's told to, the, to to sit down, and he chirps back at his parents, "Well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, or on the on the inside." And God is always concerned with the inside as well as the outside, and so Peter says to Submit with respect. It's one thing to do your job. It's another thing to do your job and to grumble and to complain all the day long. And to call attention to your boss's failings. Words that Peter uses are pointed out that... are pointed at the action and the attitude. Submit yourself with respect. Arrange yourself under their authority. Not because they are good people, not because they are good bosses, not because they treat you well, but because of their position. Now, as I said, submission has qualifications. Remember that submission itself has uh, has a basic understanding that that you are free agents, and that there's a a willing arranging of yourself under the authorities that God has placed around you, and that leadership has qualifications, and that leadership is is under uh, under authority, and if the If your boss requires you to sin, like last week we say, we must obey God and not men. So you are bound to obey God and are not required to obey your boss if he requires you to do sin. That really goes for anyone in authority, that God will hold all men accountable. It's also also important for us to recognize that that the Lord guards those under authority. The Lord guards you by this very concept of submission that is not blind, absolute obedience, but is that willing arranging of yourself. But there are other guards that are there. God does hold leadership accountable. And God does judge them and judges leaders closely. And you might notice as well, the Bible gives other guidance that bears in this context. Um, as Doriani observe, observes, God still grants us freedom to escape oppression. Paul told slaves, if you can gain your freedom, you do so. 1 Corinthians 7. Jesus told his disciples, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Those, uh, those who who persecute are ones that are held accountable by by God. You have this protection in that there's recourse to appealing to those in authority, to those who are under uh, who to who they are uh, under authority too as well. Uh, you have that 
have recourse to report abuse, to, uh, to report crimes that are committed to those who are in that stream, under that chain of command and authority. But the starting point is to honor positions of authority that you are under. And uh, we shake our heads at this because this is very difficult, isn't it? Because Peter says, not just those who are gentle and good, those who are harsh. And this is where Peter moves into motivation for submission. He deepens our understanding of submission in very challenging ways. Previous verses showed some of the effects of submission, that there's a light that is born when you do this. But then hear again what Peter says about our motivation. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. What credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example of faith. One of, the, uh, one of the things I've been doing in my sermons in Peter is to see how Peter is applying Jesus' teaching. So listen as I explain these things. This is commendable, literally, for this is grace. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is God's enabling grace that allows you to stand under unjust treatment, even persecution. He enables you to live without your life then being consumed by the injustice that has been done to you. You all suffer in this life. As I said, you've probably all had work experiences that are like this. And it can be broadened out to just think of, uh, of all of the hardships that you experience in this life. And if not God's grace, then you'll be consumed by by those injustices. You'll be consumed by trying to get what you think is right or to retaliate or to rebel and to break free. But God has been gracious to you. God has been gracious to you and has not dealt with you as you deserve. In fact, he has shown mercy to you, and he has shown grace to you such that you can endure those who deal harshly with you. I would observe that if you spend your life trying to get what you deserve and to right every wrong, you will waste away in bitterness. Rather, this is grace. This is agreeable 
to God or commendable as it is translated here. What's, what's commendable? That you endure grief because of conscience towards God. In other words, you endure because you are conscious of God. You're conscious of God. You're conscious of his mercy. You're conscious that though your circumstance is hard, that God is with you. And even more, that he will enable you to live by faith. Even though your circumstance is hard, even though your circumstance is unjust, God was with you and will enable you. He'll enable you even when suffering wrongfully. And this has to be the hardest, isn't it? No one likes to suffer, especially when we suffer unjustly. It's logical, says Peter, that we would be punished if we do what is wrong. That just comes with the territory. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Love your enemies and do good. This is what Peter says next. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. As I said, I'll expand on this example of Christ next week. So let me just say here that Jesus calls you to take up your cross daily to follow him. He calls you to die to yourself and to live for him. He calls you to to live for him, not for yourself, to imitate him. In enduring unjust suffering, it testifies to the watching world that there is a God in heaven and that he reigns on high. It testifies against the natural reaction, the natural reaction to disrespect authority uh, that is, uh, is, is, is harmful to you, even abusive to you. It's the way of the world to do that. But to endure suffering and to submit with respect is supernatural. It comes by the indwelling spirit of God, by your eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. Remember that that submission is a very deep subject. It has qualifications. It has Places of appeal and protection. But notice that base of respect and honor that is the way of the cross. It's the way of Christ to submit with respect. Look forward to talking more about this. We had a good discussion last week about government. I pray that we would have an equally good discussion about what this looks like in the workplace. This is tough, isn't it? It's hard to understand and it's hard to apply, but it is God's grace at work in you.
Let's pray for that in ourselves and pray that we would be growing day by day in it. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to live under the suffering that is so common to us. It is very difficult for us to understand. It is natural for us to be consumed with bitterness and anger and then to despair, to cast off all hope and to cast off all authority around us. So, oh God, I pray that you would help us to, to recognize the systems and the structures around us, to recognize the protections that that provides and the honor that that gives to us being under authority. Lord, I pray that you would help us when we suffer, when we suffer even unjustly, we would do so full of grace, full of understanding that we are your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Psalm 59. We'll sing Psalm 59b. This is part of our response to, uh, to God's word and, his, and, his, and the preaching of it. I wait for you, speaking to God. I wait for you because you are my strength. It goes on to describe the protections that we find in God, even though we suffer and suffer mightily in this world. I wait for you. You are my strength. You are my God, the fort, my God of love. Stand and sing Psalm 59b. <laughs> 